the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. I'm sitting up a little straighter right now. I always do so when I'm interviewing a fellow radio host, and I have a fellow radio host in studio with me, Sam Stone. You can hear his show here every Saturday, Breaking Battlegrounds, from 3 to 4 p.m. every Saturday. But more importantly... Uh, for the time being, at least until Saturday, Sam Stone is a candidate running for city council here in Phoenix. A lot of people know Sam wears a lot of hats in this town. And, I, you know, as was, I was saying a few a few days ago, I don't like this notion of down-ballot races. I don't even like the phrase for several reasons. One is... Uh, the left sneaks in that way when we ignore these races that we tend to dismiss as down ballot. You know, not the governor, not the U.S. Uh, and, Senate. And they and they they game them because they insist on having, quote, nonpartisan races. There is no such thing. Absolutely. But the difference is I've never seen a Republican candidate go out there and pretend to be a Democrat. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. But every time this happens, you see these Democrats running around pretending to be. I've got one in my race right now. She's brought into it by Carlos Garcia, who's the leader of the anti-police protest movement. And by Betty Gardado, who's the union leader at the city of Phoenix, she's a union boss. Yeah. And, you know, she is totally against funding the police. She's totally against anything that makes sense. Right. It's all union and socialist garbage. And she's running around. And if you listen to her on the campaign trail, she sounds like some sort of moderate Republican. Yeah. Like if Jim Click showed up on, on the campaign trail in Phoenix, this is what he'd sound like. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like Jim. But yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, just take, come on. Yeah. This is not at all what we're dealing with here. This woman is crazy lefty. So when we think about these races, uh, these are the races that when you think about not Californianing our Arizona, not making Arizona seem like L.A. or San Francisco, it's it, it it's particularly these kinds of races, county attorney, city council. So Sam is running for city council. His website, samstone.vote, samstone.vote. Sam, tell the audience, you've been on before, but it's been a while, my fault. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, how you came to be running for city council. Boy, I, so I've got a crazy background. I don't know how much time you have. We but, have you know, all the time. My, my father was actually kind of a bigwig in the California Democratic Party about the time I was born. He, he actually helped lead the 68 walkout in Chicago. He was Bobby Kennedy's campaign chair in California. In the hotel with him when he was shot. I mean, in, you in know, the ambassador kind of, hotel yeah. with Rosie Greer um, and the whole group. Yeah. And then he later he kind of got disgusted with the Democrat Party because he saw him going away from individual rights and civil liberties. And he went and founded the Cato Institute with Ed Crane. So no he helped kidding. Him, yeah, helped him start the Cato Institute no at kidding. that time. Did not know that. And, you know, Ed Crane chased a lot of skirt and got driven out of the Cato Institute. <laughs> but at this point, I'd take Ed Crane and the skirt chasing because at least then we'd still have a libertarian think tank instead of whatever they become. <laughs> Um, you see why I like Sam Stone? He doesn't pull any punches. He no. just he, he you're, you're going to get what you see and see what you get with this guy. I love it. That's exactly right. And so then uh, my father actually we uh, moved to Boston. Uh, so I spent the first six years of my life in Boston. Then we moved to that was his first retirement attempt and he failed. Um, and then he moved to six years later. We moved to far upstate New York, Lake Placid, New York. Uh-huh. Um, that was his second retirement attempt and, and he failed. They still have the Olympic uh 
Yeah. So I, I is there when, and everything. Yeah. Here's the thing. When you're a kid growing up in Lake Placid, which is basically like an overgrown Olympic village, yeah. the local teams, you know, all the Olympic trial folks, they will try every kid at everything, yeah, sure. right? Because there really aren't that many, like, ski sure. jumpers, bobsledders, and losers in the country, right? right. Not a lot of spends. Right. Yeah. So basically, you put everyone on top of a ski jump and push them off and see what happens, yeah. and then you put them on the top of the bobsled track, and you're like, hey, go for it, kid. And, you know, if they crash, then you go on to the next one. Um, so... I, I've gone off a ski jump. I will never do that. I, I, that was the worst, possibly worst experience of my life. You were 80 <laughs> meters up in the air over a hill that's another 100 meters. And you're standing on skis where your heels aren't buckled in. Uh-huh. And there's no guardrails. Like, this is this is insanity. Anyone who does that has my utter respect. Oh, my gosh. Nice. I'm trying to. It was Voltaire who said, once a philosopher, twice a pervert. Right. But, no, that's <laughs> something exactly like right. that. No, that's, yeah. exa- that's exactly right. So. <laughs> Grew up all there. We moved out here when I was 16. Okay. Uh, that was my father's third attempt at retirement, and he failed. Um, and so I, we were actually – our family owned the – if people remember the Phoenix Firebirds, sure. uh, the AAA baseball team here. So uh, before that, the, they were the Phoenix Giants. We bought them, I think, in 80, 81. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's, I, that's how we kind of got connected to Arizona. I would come out here. We're the weirdest family ever with summer in Phoenix, right? <laughs> we summer um, in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> we winter in Lake Placid, right. but we summer yeah, in exa- Phoenix. Exa- exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, snowbirds of a different sort. Yeah. Um, but uh, but so we do that. And then I moved out here. Obviously went my last couple of years of high school out here. Um, you know, went on. We ended up going to a very liberal college where, you know, I, I, I almost sort of fit in. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I came from a family that was, was pretty heavily – Left leaning. My story is my story. This is how I. This is how I did. Um, But at an early age, I started kind of. I'm really big on civil liberties Mm -hmm. and individual rights. Obviously, kind of a legacy of my father, but also just the belief that that is the way to advancement for everybody. It's the rights of the individual and the capability of the individual, and giving the individual responsibility and requiring them to be good citizens. That's what makes a great country. Yep. Right. Rule of law. All these things. These are the foundations of this country, and you can throw out everything else. Um, if if we have the rule of law and we have individual civil rights and liberties, you have a pretty good place to live. And 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 we venerate that. And I think civil liberties a little bit with foreign policy is what began my conversion to conservatism, Sam, as well. But it was the dual standards on civil liberties that got to me. And boy, is that here and present now. That's really a big thing right now. Well, that's isn't what it? you get with civil group rights for identity you, but not for me. That's what you get with group identity yeah. politics, right? I mean, they're perverting the idea of civil liberties into group identity politics and saying certain groups have, have uh, rights and privileges that others do not, um, which is garbage. I mean, it's just total garbage. It is, it is racism of the worst kind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, a bigotry of low expectations, well, which it? to me is actually it's it's worse than outright racism. Mm-hmm. Outright racism can be confronted. Mm-hmm. Outright racism yep. can be dismissed, mm-hmm. quite frankly, right. as ignorant and foolish. Right. 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 But the bigotry of low expectations seeps into society and it seeps into the culture. Exactly. Right. And so you have all these people who look around and say, oh, well, those poor black people, they can't take care of themselves. Or the poor brown people or the, the Asian people. You know, come off of it. Come off of it. Every person has capabilities equal to what they do with the talents they were born with. And and you can do a lot with talents even if you're not born with a lot of them. You know, you grew up, it sounds like, the same kind of house I grew up in. Uh, and if there was one thing that 
my family was dedicated to it was civil rights, um, civil rights and then civil liberties. And it's that singular standard, really, that beats, I think, in the chest of every American, this issue of fairness. Now, people will will pervert it and misconstrue it and redefine it as best they can. But it all does get to the very backbone and basis of America when you think about our founding ethic being equality. Right. When you think that we're all equal, we either are or we aren't. And it's from there that we, when we depart from that notion, we get into this this, this world that we're in now, which is a highly unfair world, which leads to more racial animosity, more racial invidiousness, more racial resentment. Don't you think it's an awfully hard thing to get past race when you're using race to get past it? That's exactly right. I mean, you know, Martin Luther King had it exactly right when he said, I dream of a country where people are judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. But we've slipped back into judging people specifically by the color of their skin. And then on a host of... I view Democrat politics these days, quite frankly, as a race to the bottom, Mm -hmm. as a race to claim who is more oppressed than whom. Mm -hmm. The oppression Olympics Mm -hmm. play out in Democrat primaries across this country. That's right. And whoever can claim to be more oppressed is somehow the victor. Yep. I'm sorry. Anybody who views themselves as oppressed in this country is someone who is mentally damaged. Yep. Or they are a grifter. They are using it. And, and I believe this is the core of it, whether it's BLM, I think there is a, a you know, or all these other organizations. These are hucksters. These are race-baiting poverty pimps. And they're putting us all under the heel of their psychosis. How great would it be to have this man on our city council? He pulls no punches. Uh, we're going to go to break in just a minute, Sam. When we come back, let's talk about some of these issues facing the city. Or if you want to pick up on this, because this is really where I live more than anywhere else, that notion that you invoked of Martin Luther King, who is now out of step with the civil rights movement in this country. In fact, uh, Ibram X. Kendi and the Robin DeAngelos of the world will tell us that to invoke colorblindness is now the new racism. And what's so disheartening to me is the reason Martin Luther King made civil rights so popular because he figured out a way to unite us on it. And the way he united us on it was bringing all Americans to see that this was all part of our founding construction in the first place. And that's the farthest thing from the civil rights movement today. They think we were founded in misery. Martin Luther King said our Constitution and Declaration were glorious liberty instruments. They misconstrue history deliberately, intentionally, and perniciously. We can pick up on that, too. Let me give out your uh, website real quick, Sam, as we go to quick break. Samstone.vote. Samstone.vote. He is running for city council here in District 6, and he and I will be right back. That's a little Tanya Tucker and Glenn Campbell singing uh, Dream Lover. Uh, Sam Stone is our guest. Samstone.vote is his website. He's running for city council here in City Council District 6. That embraces where we're broadcasting from, Sam. Give us the general contours of the district. So basically, it is Ahwatukee, all of Ahwatukee, Arcadia, Biltmore, a little bit of north central Phoenix, and then this tiny little sliver of sunny slope around Northern Avenue and the 51 up there. Um, 
And so it's it's obviously a pretty eclectic district. I, I actually offended the heck out of our Sunny Slope constituents oh, uh, wow. about two weeks ago. Well, because basically they were like, hey, are you going to you know engage with us more and, and do more than the current councilman has? And I straight up went into like, hey, guess what? There's a redistricting process coming. And you really don't want to be tied to Awatuki and Arcadia yeah. <laughs> because you don't share commonality of interest with them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to be – again, I'm going to be super blunt on this, right? But anyone who thinks they're going to represent an area like Sunny Slope, which is dealing with a lot of crime issues, which is dealing with a lot of blight issues, which has no trees basically, is a very barren kind of ground and, and is really tied to other parts of the city, the I, you know, I-17 corridor and all that kind of thing um, – if you're representing Arcadia and Ahwatukee yep. well, you're yep. not really going to do a very good job of representing a place like Sunny Slope. Yeah. And if you're representing them well, you're not doing a great job for our Arcadia yeah. and Ahwatukee. And I, Exeter and Ray Road don't exactly yeah, no, look, look like. You're, yeah. you're going to you're just going to get a different you know different kind of approach. And I'm just going to be straight up honest. Like District Six is gerrymandered to a fare thee well. Mm-hmm. It's connected between Ahwatukee and Arcadia by a ten foot abandoned railroad right of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is to limit the number of Republicans in the city of Phoenix, right? And that for no other reason. You mentioned crime. You and I spend a lot of time working on crime and its relationship also to homelessness. Yep. So let me tee those topics up for you. Take them however you want. Uh, when William Buckley was running for mayor, municipal politics, in 1965 in New York City, he said the number one job of government is to keep people safe. And to the degree that the government doesn't keep people safe is the degree to which government is failing in its mm-hmm. obligation. Take it from there. Crime and homelessness. That's what we think of when, aside from picking up garbage and the streets being, uh, be, uh, being paved. Talk to us about crime and homelessness in any way you want. City, cities are, are flush with cash. This is one of the hidden secrets right now. They're, they claim poor all the time. But the reason they claim poor is because they've expanded into doing all sorts of things that aren't part of their mission. They're trying to be everything to everybody. They're trying to be do all the things the federal government does, the state government does. They're trying to do everything the nonprofits are supposed to be doing in their space. And they're spending huge amounts of money on this. And they're not spending money on policing. And they're not spending money on home. They're spending a ton of money on homelessness and doing it totally ineffectively. And so, look, anyone who tells you that these problems are not solvable is not paying attention to the realities that are out there. Because if you you know, Seth, look at what the Salvation Army does with homeless the homeless population. Yeah. They get them, the people that they get into their program, they get them off the streets, they get them back Soup, into Soup, soap, and salvation. That's right. They get them back into a life. Yep. Um, there's other organizations, Phoenix Rescue Mission. Uh, there's a whole bunch of others that are taking this approach, and it works, Right. They're different than most of the homeless service industry right now, which is an industry. And very simply, like many industries in government, if they were actually effective at their job, there'd be no reason be for out of their job. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So that'd be the end. So they're deliberately, as far as I can see, deliberately ineffective in enabling chronic street homelessness. And chronic street homelessness is one of the great drivers of crime. And – it makes everything else worse. So, you know, when your police are dealing with constant numbers of low-level or mid-level offenses, the shoplifting, assaults, you know, I mean, all sorts of things, and then some really heinous ones that go on, like the rape, 
like violence and you know murder and all and these things. And unto each other. And unto each unto other primarily. Each other. This is right. what people fail to understand right. as well. But um, When all these things are going on, it takes away from their ability to track that child sex trafficker. It takes away from the police's ability to address the major the, – the murderers – the you know the large scale drug traffickers the people that we really need to be going after we don't have the time in our police forcing in our police forces across this country to do it anymore and then you have these politicians who are gutting and undercutting our police departments both rhetorically and financially so phoenix mayor kate gallego they give police a big raise well they did it out of the existing police budget mm-hmm. so that actually reduces the number of officers we can have They've also stopped buying police cars. So now they've been taking that money out of the budget. So they actually have backdoor defunded the police. Those are things that would have been paid for through additional monies in the past. And we backdoor defunded them instead. So this is where we're at. And and anyone who thinks, oh, this is just temporary, doesn't understand Democrats and the way they like to spend money. Talk to a policeman. Uh, You know, I have always been um, someone who when I see a cop in a restaurant or a coffee shop or whatever, I'll thank them. Uh, If I see him parked or on the at the red light next to me, I'll roll down my window and thank them. And they would always, you know, up until about three or four years ago, they'd always go, you know, thanks. okay, you know, yeah, it's different now. It is It's a sincere look at me in the eye and saying thank you. Yeah, they really appreciate it because they know the community doesn't have their back the way it used to. Well, you know, that's, that is actually a misnomer. Parts of the community. I mean, it, so this is an interesting thing to me because this was one of the things I, I recently filled out, uh, you know, a candidate kind of questionnaire and they printed parts of it in the Arizona Republic. And they, they, they laid out the premise, well, the community, what do we need to do to rebuild the frayed relationship between Phoenix and the Phoenix Police Department? Stop fraying it. How's that for an answer? <laughs> Stop well, that fraying was, it. That was my answer. Was it? My, no, my, my answer. <laughs> Effectively. Yeah. My answer. Well, no, I was even harsher than that. I said, but there is no frayed relationship. Our, our community loves our police department. Every community in the city of Phoenix, and there's polling to this, every community in the city of Phoenix by more than two-thirds loves our Phoenix Police Departments, wants more of them on the street. Is entirely satisfied with their, they, you know, sure, they want them held to account. When an officer does something wrong, you want them to be held to account. And sure, you do get bad people from time to time, the proverbial bad apple, that happens. And I think we do a pretty good job of weeding them out and addressing those issues. But they want more cops. This is a narrative that is coming from paid protesters, and they are paid. And they are trying to get more money from the police departments for themselves. Uh-huh. That's that's what's going on on one end. Uh-huh. And on the other end, you have politicians who are using that mm-hmm. to elevate their own careers. And so then that's how you get a Carlos Garcia. That's how you get the Betty Gardados of the world that come along and then they undermine the police and they undercut them. And they say, oh, well, we can't hire any police, so we, we can just take their budget and use it for other things. Well, you've made it impossible to hire police because they know you don't have their backs. They know that when an officer walks, uh, pursues a suspect into an apartment complex – and they should have their gun out and up, and they get shot seven times. The officer, the rest of that force knows, which is what happened here, here in Phoenix. That officer miraculously lived, recovered to go home. But the reason that officer did not have their gun out and did not take that suspect down without being injured themselves is because of a policy that requires them to be investigated Every time they pull their firearm out of their holster. So you have to make them double, triple, and quadruple think before they actually do the job that right. we have hired them to do and we expect them to do and then blame them for not doing because of the maddening policies and the seven circles of hell we've put them through. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Sam Stone. Wouldn't you like to have a man like this on your city council, folks? If you do, 
samstone.vote. Samstone.vote is his website. Please help this great man out. And please stay with us because we have a lot more coming up, Sam and I do. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Public servants like Sam Stone come around very rarely, very infrequently. And when you find a Sam Stone, you want to embrace him and you want to put him into office and you want to support him. That's why I'm delighted to have him not only in studio, but to give him my endorsement. Samstone.vote is his website. Samstone.vote. Quick question on the mechanics, Sam, of the mayoral, excuse me, of the city council race that you're running in, city, uh, city council district six here in Phoenix. How does it work? You're on the ballot in November, and then I'm, I'm on the ballot in November. In the city, uh, about two years ago, the state passed a law that elections have to be aligned. Well, the city got around that by by we have these jungle primaries. Right. So theoretically, if someone gets fifty percent plus one vote, it's over in November. Mm-hmm. I've got eight people in my field. Yeah, nobody's getting fifty percent plus one vote. I'd love to think I'm so gloriously fantastic <laughs> as a candidate that I'm going to get fifty percent plus one. Well, after this show, you will. Well, that's right. <laughs> I'm so glorious a host. But the fact is, I was born in reality. I'm still I'm still living in reality, and that ain't happening. So we're going to a March of 2023 runoff. So there's another election. So you get you get Sam as many votes as you can, and then you look forward to putting them in office in March. Yeah, and you know what? To to your point, right at the start of the show, uh, the the segments when I was on here. You said about getting to the bottom of your ballot. You yeah. know what I think we need to do? Yeah. I think we need to reverse it. Yeah. I think we need to put the Senate, the governor, the big ticket races at the end of the ballot right. so that people start with the locals. Right. 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 Because then they're going to go to the end of their ballot. That's right. I think it's right. And the stuff that you, city council, county attorney, if I can put that in there. Absolutely. That's the stuff that touches people every day. Yeah. Honest to God, every day. The governor, the Senate, it's going to be here and there. But the the city council races, the county – so I'm with you. Seth, I was at a forum. In fact, the the same one I mentioned (laughs) up in Sunny Slope where I probably didn't make a whole lot of friends. But I'll tell you who didn't – who also didn't make any friends in that forum because that was at a block watch uh, forum, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. which is where the the Phoenix Police Department is highly coordinated with our neighborhoods on block watch, neighbors who want to help protect and and secure their communities for their friends uh, and themselves and their families. And Julie Gunnigal's team was there. Uh, And Julie Julie stopped in at the start of it, right? Yep. And uh, then you have an officer, community action officer, whose job is to engage with the neighborhood and work with neighbors, who gets up and explains all the things the police department is doing in that area to try to address the chronic homelessness, the blight, the crime, and everything else they're dealing with. And Julie Gunnigal walks out while this guy's talking, and her team, at the end of it, are the only people in that room. They're sitting there with their arms crossed. They can't even applaud the police officer, polite applaud. I mean, we got six candidates from my race there. We're on. We're up there, you know, right after that, uh, going back and forth in a forum. We're applauding each other, sure, right? Like sure. we're we're running against each other, and we're applauding each other because that's a polite thing you do, uh-huh. right? Exactly and right. They, these folks are so anti-cop yeah. that they can't even just give a little little clappa yeah. for an officer who's working with the community and doing what they say they want, which is community policing. I'm thinking people are waking up to this in a big way, Sam. I Probably like you, uh, I get a lot of calls, emails, and in public events, people coming up saying, who are you supporting in this race? I've never really paid attention to that office before. They're paying attention to those offices now. They need to. Yeah. They need yeah. to. The county attorney, critical. Here in Arizona, and, and we don't, uh, you know, I think this is something that, 
the state party and others need to start focusing on is the judges. Yep. So we have judicial referral. Um, So they come up on the ballot. Yep. And there's a lot of catch and release judges. Yep. And they need to go. Yep. Uh, They need to be called out and they need to go. Yep. And so, look, I'm running for this seat. Because I think Phoenix is at a, a key inflection point. I've never wanted to run for office. I always kind of joke I'm a backroom guy. I'm, a, I'm the nerd you keep in the back and, you know, in the dark and feed the you-know-what. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's that's what I'm happy doing. I'm a policy guy. Yeah. I, I never wanted to put my, myself up front on this stuff. But I'm running for the city of Phoenix. And, folks, I will never run for other anything outside the city of Phoenix. Never. We need you, man. We need um, you. That's why I want you here, uh, and I want you on the city council. We're gonna. This was a short segment. We'll come back with a longer one. Sam Stone is my guest in studio. Samstone.vote is his website. Do you have a Twitter handle you want to get out? Yeah, it's at, so I, I got a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm at Sam the Paul. Sam the P-O-L. Good. Good. Sam the Paul. I like that. And Samstone.vote if you want to help this tremendously uh, gifted candidate, this tremendously gifted public servant, this tremendously gifted public intellectual, which he is. And we'll talk about that when we come back. I want to talk a little bit more with you about chronic homelessness. It's become a new project of mine. You've been very helpful in helping us with our project on this. And uh, pick up on a few things you said uh, a segment or two ago about the chronic homeless problem. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Sam Stone. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're worried about stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office and yet want a safe and secure investment, I'm offering up, as my friends at Y-Refi are offering up, an investment in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return, no correlation to the stock market. It's a remarkable opportunity where they are offering an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio of up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment can be in a trust, an IRA, just as much as an individual or joint investment. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really good by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. They just like to talk about what they do. And let it speak for itself. Which is the same thing about my guest, Sam Stone. He is running for city council here in Phoenix's city district six. Samstone.vote is his website. Samstone.vote. Chronicle. Speaking for myself, yes, myself, Seth, if yes, your sir. portfolio out there looks anything like mine, you definitely want to go to investwhyrefi.com. There you go. There you go. <laughs> this has been ugly under Biden, man. <laughs> They're terrible at this economy thing. <laughs> They're just bad at it. Sam is uh, is a polyglot, which is to say he operates uh, on a lot of public policy issues. He's uh, so, He's a go-to for me. He's an expert for me. One of the issues is chronic homelessness. Uh, Sam, you were talking about certain parts of the community will use the homeless for their own um, political ends. Uh, They will use it for their own self-sustaining, ongoing um, enrichment of their own organizations. There's also a third element to it, isn't there, Uh, which is misplaced compassion. You know Dennis Prager well. He likes to quote from the Talmud that those who will... Those who have uh, mercy on the cruel will someday be cruel unto the merciful. There's a lot of that going on, too, right? There's a, there's a ton of that going on. I mean, look, I think 
most of the people who get into the homeless service industry do it because they genuinely want to help. But I, I think they're corrupted by the system that they're, they're part of. And, they, and frankly, a lot of them don't even understand how misguided what they're doing is. I think they they misplace the individual compassion for a person that you don't want to do things that, you know, here's a person who's suffering and you don't want to add to their suffering right. in any way, you know, by forcing them to do things they don't want to do. Um, there's a problem with that because someone who is a chronic drug user, someone who is mentally ill and often to the time, the two are intertwined. You have mm-hmm. a lot of drug induced psychosis on the streets. Sure. Um, that person is not qualified to make a decision. I mean, they're the they, least qualified. They're the least. They're the qualified. least qualified to right. even assess their own mental condition. And, and yet we pretend they are. Right. I mean, so you take that person. I always use this analogy. You take that person. Let's say their grandma passes away. They inherit a couple hundred grand. They want to go buy a house. The court is not going to let them do that on their own. They're going to sign a guardian ad litem to oversee the transaction. Now you take that same person who's literally dying, killing themselves with drugs. And from their mental illness and heat and everything else that, you know, dirt and all this stuff, you have tons of people out there with infected cuts. And I mean, the conditions they're living in are are, are subhuman. And you say, oh, well, you're qualified to say, I don't want to go to treatment, Mm -hmm. that I don't want to get into a program that's going to require me to get clean, Mm -hmm. that you're qualified to say that, but you're not qualified to buy a house. Mm -hmm. That is just a complete garbage argument to me. At the end of the day, that person is not qualified to make those decisions, and society has to say there's a better way, and we're going we're gonna to put that in front of you. You have opponents, Sam Stone, that will say, well, you know, the real problem is that they can't afford to buy a house, even if they got that couple hundred thousand bucks from their aunt or their grandma or their mom. They can't afford to buy a house, and mm-hmm. that's the issue, and we need to make more housing more affordable, to which you say... Well, I agree that we need to build a lot more housing, and by building a lot more housing, it will be a lot more affordable. Housing is like the most pure supply and demand market in the world. If you have more people than you have houses, the cost of housing goes up. If you have more houses than you have people, the cost of housing goes down. It is really that simple. So you have these people who are like, oh, let's not build luxury apartments. They need to build low-end apartments. Garbage. I build what they a high-end unit called a Class A unit in developer language, right? Well, someone moves out of a class B unit and they move into that A unit. And someone moves out of class C unit moves into that B unit. And someone who moves out of class D unit moves into that class C unit. And now all of a sudden I got an opening at the bottom that's cheap. That's how you add that's how you add the housing stock you need. But at the end of the day, we're taking these people, we're required by the federal government to to focus all our homeless resources on the people who've been homeless the longest and have the most problems, the most service resistant group, right? And we don't get to help the people who all we need is just a little hand up. You know, maybe they had an accident or something happened, little life life setback, and they ended up on the street. They're desperate to get off. Mostly those people get themselves off the street. Mm-hmm. But if we had a little help for them, they'd get off much faster, and we, we'd reduce the risk that they do end up chronic street homeless. But instead, we focus on these ones that are service resistant because this is what the federal government requires. And we put them in housing. We have housing for those folks, pure and simple. We have beds. We have treatment. We have housing for them. But because there's no services mandated to go along with that, no drug treatment, no mental health treatment, none of that stuff, then they blow out of them because they turn them into flop houses. Mm -hmm. Then they get evicted because it's a flop house, not, you know, and then they're back on the street and they stay. This is what kills me. They stay at the top of the priority list. Mm -hmm. So... Now, I mean, this is this is a they're gaming the system. You have a lot of these folks who know know that they can get into housing whenever they want to. Mm-hmm. 
and will do it every so often when they're kind of hitting bottom and they need to, you know, support themselves a little bit just to stay alive and continue doing drugs. Then they go in for a few months. They blow it out. They're back on the street. It's wash, rinse, repeat, right? Dealing with the homeless is supposed to be less repetitive than shampooing. That's right. That's what we're doing. That's right. That's a nice way to think of it. There's also different classes of homeless. Yes. I mean, the thing that got me so energized on this was a simple tour of Ninth Avenue and Jefferson. That's not the same thing that we're talking about with just affordable housing. That's a different problem. That's a different population with a whole other host of issues, right? And that's This is a population, the chronic street homelessness is driven by drug abuse and mental health problems. And that's a very different thing than just needing more affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And we can address the more affordable housing much more easily, but there's ways, and and I encourage people, you've been giving out my website, go on there, go look at the homeless plan. You'll find actually all my plans are far more detailed. I'm running in a race with, like, like I said, it's eight other people. Um, one of them's the mayor's choice. One of them's the Carlos Garcia. Everyone's kind of got their own horse in this thing. But none of them have plans that are anywhere near as detailed and comprehensive as what I what I put forward. And my favorite part about all the forums we've been having is I've clearly written the bloody material for all of them. <laughs> I know, literally, they're reading off my website. It's gotten to the point where I'm just like, can I get credit? Can I get like a, you know, TM Sam Stone at the end of that statement? Well, I know that to be true because I know in the communities I operate in, and uh, talk about whether it's a PAC or a civic organization I'm involved in and something municipal comes up, you know what the, you know what the, the refrain is? See what Sam Stone thinks. <laughs> See what Sam Stone thinks. I don't have to. He's my friend. He's sitting across from me. He'll tell you what he thinks, Sam. Yeah, I, I don't hold back. <laughs> Samstone.vote. Samstone.vote is his website. Help him out. Be a uh, game changer. A game changer. Uh, in the Valley of the Sun to have him on the city council. Game changer that we need. We'll be right back with some final thoughts. That's a Warren Zevon song that was made famous by Linda Ronstadt from Tucson, Poor Pitiful Me, and I believe that's a Canadian country singer's version, (laughs) Terry Clark coming in. Sam Stone has been our guest this hour. He is a candidate for city council, samstone.vote. Sam, closing pitch here to the audience, uh, at least this week, uh, what's the most important thing you want the audience to know about your candidacy for the city council? Look, I, I've been at this a long time. I was Sal DeCicio's chief of staff for five years. I, I got involved in, in politics because at the end of the day, I, I know when I pass away, if there's anything people say about me, I want it to be that he made a difference for more than just himself. And that's why I do this. Um, all across this country, look around. Look at every single major city in this country and tell me one that's doing it the right way. I can't point to one. I mean, they, they really just can't point to one. And they're all using the same systems and the same programs. And despite failing, they continue to replicate them from city to city to city. And that's coming here, and it's been coming to Phoenix. And look, I have very different ideas. There's almost nobody in this entire country, especially from a conservative perspective, running for local large cities for their municipal government, like I am, who is actually vested and knowledgeable and prepared to take on these issues and prepared to offer a different path forward. And that's what I'm doing. And so my, my take is this, folks. If you don't want me to serve on this council, you got seven other choices. It's all basically the same rubber stamp for someone else's agenda. Or you can try to find somebody, and I believe I'm the only candidate in this field who fits this, 
who really brings new, fresh ideas and is saying, listen, maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm wrong, it can't screw up any worse than we already are, and then we'll try something else next time. And they'll know it because you're honest. You're brutally honest. Anyone who listens to this hour will say, that's not a typical politician I'm hearing speak. No. I, I never try to sound like one. I just talk. And I, I love I love what we can do with government when it's done right, that we can protect people, we can keep them safe, we can do all the things that they can't do for themselves. That's what government should do. What it's doing right now is making people's lives worse, and it's time to change it. God bless you, Sam Stone. Stay close, and uh, we're going to do everything uh, we can uh, to get you into this uh, city council race. So it's uh, he'll be on your ballot in November, folks. Ballots actually go out next week, I on believe. On the 12th. That's yeah. right. The, uh, early ballots go out next week. Samstone.vote is his website. Samstone.vote on Twitter, at Sam. The Paul, and you can also hear him once again every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. here. If, if you'd follow me on Twitter, just be prepared to and enjoy blood sports. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I love it. Godspeed, Sam Stone. I'm Seth Leapson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 